Hey, it's Mark Shifley here. You're listening to the Jet Centric Podcast. Hey there, Winnipeg Jets fans. Welcome back to the Jet Centric Podcast. My name is AJ, one of your hosts, and this is episode 64. Hockey is upon us. There's lots to get to, lots of little interesting tidbits. Uh, this episode is going to be something uh, I slash we've never done before. Uh, we're going to do a round table, and Mike is supposed to be kind of leading those, but he's really swamped at work. So just as a sort of precursor to the next time we do um, uh, one of those round tables and have sort of a conversation with a bunch of people, thought I would do a monologue. Uh, if you hate my voice, that's uh, that's two of us. Uh, but I figured it'd just take about half an hour, kind of get to all the little points try and share, I don't know, my little insight into it and hopefully uh, it's helpful and provides some context and gets you all caught up uh, with a lot of the things that are happening with the Winnipeg Jets lately. Uh, We're definitely going to have a lot more interviews obviously this season, we're going to do some more roundtables, we'll do a bunch of different things so um, this isn't about any of those things though, it's just a little bit of, hey, camp's open, there's been some contract talks, there's been uh, Josh Morrissey signing, things like that so let's talk about those things get to it and then once they're on the ice I'm sure there'll be lots more to talk about too but they haven't done that yet I mean game wise but okay so let's get to it here all right so they have started playing some games now lost my voice a little bit there for a couple days but uh, now I'm back and ready to kind of talk about some of these things so there are a lot of little points I'm going to get to take a little break before we get to the line a thing because uh, I think that's probably one of the bigger issues as well as Bufflin but uh, I'm going to start off first of all with the Morrissey contract obviously this contract is amazing this is great for the Jets Morrissey is officially signed longer than the Jets have even existed from today or any time that you're probably listening to this I mean it's about 3,200 days before his contract ends and the Jets have been around for a little over 3,000 days so that's really great for the club to have a player like that locked up uh, so so long interesting thing just put out a poll about um, if it's the best value of any Jets contract and compared it to the Shifley contract which is similar in length and and uh, and total value and then same with uh, the Ehlers contract too so thought it'd be a little bit closer thought it might be like 60% Shifley 40% uh, Morrissey and a couple people picking Ehlers there uh, just kind of fudge the numbers a little bit to fit him in there so I was kind of right about the Ehlers not many people picked that only three percent but 85 percent of people said that the Shifley contract was the best value now that's actually the vote that I would go with is the Shifley one but I thought that the split would be a little bit closer to 60 40 but as much as everybody loves this new uh, Morrissey contract only 12 percent of you thought it was better than the Shifley contract but I guess that's fair, but I mean, they're both amazing contracts. They're both amazing young players. It's so nice to lock up the young guys for long term, more so than, you know, Brian Little and, and Blake Wheeler, uh, kind of later on in their career. Um, if you listen to this podcast before, a lot of us uh, do not feel those are the ones that you really want to be locking up for big money long term, but getting Shifley, Ehlers, Morrissey, I mean, that's that's good stuff, so... Anyhow, uh, that's uh, that's uh, the the Morrissey take. There you go. Oh, and uh, wearing the A. I mean, with Buff likely going to be out, which I'll get to here, it's very, very likely Morrissey is going to be wearing a letter. I mean, everybody kind of thought it would be happening at some point. Anyhow, if you listen to this podcast for a long time, Jamie Thomas, uh, Marat, and Ace Burpee all had the same thing to say, thought that he'd be wearing a letter at some point, and most of those interviews were from before last season even started. So 
quite likely that we see see that happening sooner than later. And then when Buff returns, uh, I imagine that Morrissey would just keep the letter anyhow. So it's not official yet, but uh, if Morrissey's not wearing an A on his jersey this year, then uh, that's insanity, right? I think that's insane. Anyhow, um, a couple things, uh, just getting to different comments. Maurice had commented the other day about his, he probably has his final cuts already made in his head uh, so far, even before camp started. I know some people didn't like that comment. It's actually not that bad. If you look at the roster, I mean, most of us probably know who 90% of the players are right away. The contentious part is uh, the last 10%. You know, is it going to be Logan Stanley that's in, or is it going to be Niku, or does... Uh, you know, who who, who are the, the young guys that are on the bubble that make it? Veselainen, obviously, is going to be another one that people talk about. So I think that's a contentious part. But, I mean, I think he left room for that, that those are the guys competing for jobs, whether on the D or on the, the forwards. So that's uh, I think it's a more fair statement. It's not that bad. But, I mean, for those who do not like Maurice, obviously it makes him look like um, a bit of a know-it-all, a little bit of arrogant kind of, already knows what's going to happen before it even happens. What's the point of, you know, training camp and these exhibition games if uh, you're not really going to give people a chance. But it's not like he's going to come out of training camp here and say, oh, yeah, Perot's cut, you know, uh, Brian Little's, uh, you know, sent down to the moose. Uh, we, we already know who 90% of the players are anyhow. So I guess the, the last 10% are getting a chance. So that comment, uh, not sure how you, the listener, may have taken it, but um, it's really not that big of a deal. Um, on to the D, talking about Niku. Pullman and Bullyu a little bit. I think for uh, replacing Myers and Schrott and what they did, I think those guys easily cover the loss of uh, of those players. The, they can definitely do as good of, if not better, job. I think Pullman in the first two games has showed himself really well. Um, Bullyu's a, a, a quality player. He already showed that last year. Niku had a down year last year, but I think we all know that he's got huge upside. Last year, though, he played 20 games with the Jets and 30 with the Moose and was healthy all year, so I'm not totally convinced that Maurice is going to have him in the top four the way some people think or would like. Uh, obviously, uh, I, I would like that, but I don't see that necessarily happening. Obviously, there's a bit more opportunity now with uh, with Buff out that bumps everybody up a little bit, but if Buff does come back, uh, that could change things. And it feels like Niku's not enough of a veteran to really be valued that much. It feels like likely... Maurice has Pullman and Bullyu ahead of him and Kulikov because the money invested and obviously Pionk for that was a return for for Truba so you got to have him up the lineup and then obviously Morrissey and Buff so I I just really hope that Niku's not the odd man out um, although when Buff comes back yeah I I, I personally hope that uh, Kulikov is the odd man out so uh, anyhow, there's a super hot take about that I mean none of those guys are going to be a replacement for losing Truba and temporarily hopefully losing buff but uh, like I said they cover Myers and Sherratt pretty well but it'll be interesting to see what happens with them and uh, if Kulikov's actually healthy for probably the first time since he's been in Winnipeg it'll be interesting to see what kind of role he takes hopefully it's not above the third pair but he did play a little bit of second pair on the right side when buff was injured last year too so uh, hopefully that's not a uh, a long-term solution. Okay, moving on. Here, uh, just reading through my notes. The new jersey, amazing, beautiful, but kind of obvious. I mean, everybody who likes it, it's based off of the first Heritage jersey. So really, that first Heritage jersey, and that's based off of an older jersey too. Uh, but really, they knocked out of the park with the first jersey. The second jersey is just a derivative of the same one. So it's not really that surprising exactly what it looks like. But 
for those of you who are on Twitter and saw what, the jersey that we came up with with uh, Shark Mifley is his name. I've never met the, the, the gentleman who did it, but he did a mock-up jersey that I'd asked him to do of uh, the Heritage before it came out. So uh, did the inverted colors and basically came up with the exact same thing. In fact, I would say our version of the jersey, again, if you're on Twitter, I'm sure you've probably seen it. Our version is probably closer than the leaked version. Leaked version had the, the red numbers, but ours had the dark on dark logo. And we did a couple. We did the one where uh, there was no uh, shoulder yoke, but we also did one with the white shoulder yoke, which personally I think that looked even a little bit sharper than the ones that came out. But um, yeah, it, it, the, the New Jersey is amazing. Our version, it's amazing how close it was, even closer than the leaked version. Uh, dark on dark looks really, really nice. And um, But the, the, here's the goofy thing. They're only going to wear it three times this year. I mean, last year they had the Aviator. They wore it 14 times. Now with the original Reebok white heritage jersey and then the white Adidas heritage jersey and now this uh, dark heritage jersey, they will, after this season, have worn heritage, quote-unquote, jerseys eight times and aviators 14 times. Everybody knows, even if you like the aviators, everyone knows the heritage are the much nicer jerseys. Everybody loves them. They sell like hotcakes. Um, not sure why the team is consistently choosing to not wear these jerseys more they're beautiful, amazing. They should wear them all the time. Everybody knows it. Aviators were not popular. They wore them 14 times. They were Finland-inspired, and they didn't even wear them in Finland at all. So the team, again, continues to puzzle people about how they manage their jersey selection. It's really, really goofy. Wear the beautiful jersey way more often. Promise we won't get sick of it. So anyhow, I'm going to take a little pause there because, uh, like I said, I had kind of lost my voice, a little bit sick. So I'm going to stop and get some water and then come back to talk about the fan form, the CBA, uh, Howard Chuck, Wheeler, and then probably take a pause and then talk about buff and lining. So here it is. Here's the first part. And now it's time for a pause. All right, I'm back. And I'm not even going to get into <laughs> how long it's been taking to get this recording done and all the, the hiccups along the way, especially with just a little monologue. But anyhow, uh, back now. Okay, so a couple more things to get to. Uh, the current CBA has been extended um, three years, so that's good. So we've got three years of uh, un, uninterrupted uh, hockey. And then they'll probably uh, might have a lockout after that. And going into their second season, just like the Jets' second season when they were here, uh, Seattle might have to... Uh, uh, sit sit tight for a 48-game season. We'll, we'll see. So um, we had suggested that potentially a lot of RFAs were waiting to get signed till after it. Uh, some interesting thing with contracts, obviously, uh, Marner signed, and he got that uh, deal that's all signing bonus, so l potential lockout stuff didn't affect him at all. Josh Morrissey's contract, though, did look like it had a bit of lockout protection, and then Shabbat signed in Ottawa and just no protection signing bonus as far as I could tell at all so um all agents aren't created equal but uh yeah may, I I heard from Art uh from Jets Nation that um the CBA wasn't would play a bit of a role into negotiations for for RFAs but it wasn't going to be the main thing which isn't something that um we suggested anyhow just that it would be a thing so anyhow there's that uh we'll see uh now that uh, they're locked up though for the three years, it seems very unlikely that they're going to the Olympics because Olympics actually happen a couple 
months before the CBA. And so if you're all about the NHL going to it, um, neither party will probably have much bargaining power at that point, and I'm sure they won't have a deal. So looks like the NHL will not be going to the next Olympics. And Seattle might get a lockout or shortened season to, in their second season, similar to us. So there you go. CBA news. Um, fan forum was the other day. Now it's going back a ways where today's Sunday. The Jets are playing, who is it tonight? Calgary, an exhibition game when I'm recording this right now. So uh, a lot of stuff has happened, but I mean, on ice stuff hasn't really mattered too much because we do know this exhibition and players, um, whatever, move, move around a lot, but in some of it doesn't mean too much. But um, anyhow, the fan forum happened. There were some interesting things that happened there. Um, Charlie Huddy talked about um, how he doesn't use analytics at all. So that seemed like a pretty big deal, but a friend of the show, Tony, mentioned he's more supposed to be the guy that implements stuff. He's not the, the decision maker and probably doesn't have much pull in that area. Jamie Compon certainly had a much better answer for that. And Maurice had an interesting um, thought about stuff saying, you know, um, for zone entries, for example, to it's better to obviously carry the puck in than it is to dump in the puck. So we, we know that that's a, a better way of doing things. But if you get really, really good at dumping the puck and your percentages are better at retrieving the puck doing the less desirable thing then they're going to do that so i guess that makes sense yet at the same time it's basically saying instead of improving the better ways of hockey we should be playing if we do the bad ways of hockey well then we're going to continue to do them so that was just kind of a a weird uh well i don't know whatever it was maurice he's a coach he's allowed to think that way but uh, yeah he just kind of shed a little bit of light on it i mean it's a couple days old now so i'm forgetting some of it i did write some notes down but that was pretty much it uh jim slater was at actually at the fan forum too so kind of neat to see him there and now he's taking that position i guess with the uh washington capitals which i thought he just took a position with the michigan state university as a volunteer coach but maybe he's doing double duties so um dale howard chuck sick haven't heard much about uh, what it is. Uh, we were going to have him on the podcast this summer, but uh, in the conversations, it seemed like it wasn't going to happen, even though we were told that it would happen in the summer. So uh, didn't figure anything was up. But once we heard the announcement that uh, he's going to be taking a whole year off from coaching the Barry Colts, then uh, it all made a little bit more sense why um, we weren't getting the, the traction that we thought we would. So the, that's too bad. I know some people kind of kind of have him pegged as the Jets' next coach whenever that is. Um, whenever, you know, Maurice, you know, really takes a, some huge missteps uh, in the organization's eyes. But um, I don't think Howard Chuck is going to be coaching in the NHL anytime soon. He's not even doing the OHL. But um, hopefully he gets better quickly. And, uh, yeah, so thoughts and prayers. Are we allowed to say that? Everyone usually makes fun of that when you say thoughts and prayers, but to him and his family. So hopefully he gets better quickly. Um, I want to talk about the Wheeler interview. He did an interview with uh, Sarah Oleski not too long ago. I thought it was pretty interesting that there wasn't more fallout from that. Uh, going back to Maurice talking about some ruffled feathers and some reports, I think Mike McIntyre talked about this a little bit, uh, and then Wheeler just even in the interview saying that he lost himself, you know, as a father and a husband. But uh, and then he was like spitting nails when he got home. But he also mentioned when he got to the rink, um, just I guess his drive and everything like that, really pushing guys, and. Uh, it seems like, you know, when the Jets had their best season ever two seasons ago, uh, Matt Hendricks was there. Like him as a player or not, didn't really matter. Obviously, everyone knew that he was really, really good in the room. And um, then without him and without Bufflin maybe being a bit of a buffer between uh, Maurice and Wheeler and, and the younger players, 
seems like the room really went to to crap uh, last year. Again, I'll make mention of the ruffled feathers comment. But uh, I don't know if I'm the only one getting a read on this set. Um, Wheeler is, seems really... Mm, I'm not sure the best way to say it because people just say, no, he's really, really competitive or whatnot, but seems kind of petty, seems vindictive sometimes toward uh, media. I'm really not convinced that he's a good captain. I'm just convinced that he is a captain and then when he was appointed captain at the time that he was, it made the most sense. But uh, just sort of by default, people thinking that he's some sort of amazing captain, I just feel like his response to certain things and his admissions uh, just shows a huge lack of immaturity and, and pettiness in some way. And I, I mean, to, to realize your mistake and come back from it and, you know, vow to change everything, I guess that, that's part of growing up and maturity. But um, I guess he's got to own some of the room stuff last year. And I mean, everyone's ragging on Liney, which I'll get to here, but uh, for being sort of immature and young and not working hard enough or whatever those uh, comments are, but I mean, if uh, you can't even deal with the younger players on the team or, or whatnot, that seems seems problematic and seems like nobody really made note of it. Just Wheeler just sort of admitting, you know, he made some mistakes and is going to kind of be better. But that whole year of making that mistake, I, I think, is uh, something that kind of flew under the radar. I'm I'm not convinced that he's the right leader for this group, and and I I don't mind Blake Wheeler as a player. I do actually understand his contract and getting the money that he did now because he was so underpaid before. You know, he averaged it out. It's actually not too bad over those 10, 11 years, but um, that's not exactly how contracts work. Um, but yeah, I just, I don't know. There's some stuff that Wheeler says and does that I just am not comfortable with, and I'm surprised there isn't more blowback from fans that go, who is this guy? He seems like a, I don't want to say a jerk, but... I guess maybe that, you know, I think that's fair. At times, is a jerk and alienates some people. That's that's kind of the sense I'm getting from uh, from some of this stuff. So I'm surprised more people don't kind of go there yet. With a 21-year-old, it's like, let's just take a giant shit on his head. So um, like it or not, I, I think you got to look at some of the comments uh, surrounding Blake Wheeler and, and that interview and some of the other stuff that has uh, maybe come out. I'm not going to... Uh, spell it all out for you and find every single resource where anything has been said but uh yeah i just uh i found that a little bit a little bit interesting that uh yeah not much has happened there as far as chat everybody wants to shit on the young guys i'm um, talking about bufflin i think bufflin's playing this year i don't think he's retiring i think having him in the room last year was uh, or not in the room last year was uh was a big miss uh we do need him in the room this year uh, if he were to retire, it reminds me a little bit of the Andrew Luck situation. Tweeted that out not too long ago, I guess. Uh, if a player kind of decides that they're going to leave the game or leave the team right at the beginning of the season, when you kind of wonder, like, could you have made this decision three or four months ago so we could have maybe planned a little bit better, uh, maybe draft a little different, maybe made some trades, whatever it is, uh, kind of puts the organization and people in a in a bad spot. But I do not think Buff is retiring, so I don't think it'll ha it's the, quite the same situation. If he were just to retire and kind of leave us a little bit high and dry, obviously you want the best for the guy. Everybody likes him. You know he's he's served the community and the and the team really well. But uh, yeah, it feels like maybe this decision could have been made uh, a while ago. I mean, after missing half of last season, I'm sure there's been some pondering going on back then for whatever reasons that he he missed i know there was uh, high ankle sprain injury stuff uh there's rumors of some other stuff too but whatever it is the follow-up from all that I, I mean if he were to retire feels like 
there's going to be a little bit of, uh, maybe not backlash, maybe there'll be none, but I guess for me, I think there, there should be, there should be a little bit of like, come on, man, like you left us in a really tough spot. This isn't a decision you couldn't have made a couple months ago. And I mean, management hasn't done much at all to replace Truba. I don't think Pionk is, is quite the answer. And uh, they didn't do much else to, to kind of fix up the D. So uh, that's on them. But, I mean, for his his part of this, I guess Buff would have to have to own that. So, anyhow, there's just hot take about Bufflin and Wheeler. I don't know. It seems fair to say those things. But, uh, yeah, you can get back to us. Let us know what you think. So, anyhow, I'm going to take another quick break here and then come back with my final thoughts about lining. All right, and now on to the last part. Again, I want to apologize because my voice may sound fine, but I'm really out of breath. Uh, like I said, I've been sick. But anyway, I want to get to the last part, which is about lining. First, I'm going to just read um, something that I had posted up on the Jetcentric uh, Twitter. Uh, there was some uh, blowback and some likes on, on it. It was interesting, just about lining. So all I was trying to do was kind of come out pretending to be Liney and sort of see things from his side. I don't think Liney is without fault this uh, this last year. I was accused of just sort of uh, pumping him up and, you know, everything, poor Liney, everything else is uh, everyone else's fault. But, I mean, I think there is some credence to what he's saying. And if people don't look at what he's saying and his concerns, uh, you, just because you don't like that he's uh, whining or crying or, to, you know, saying this or that doesn't mean that maybe some of his concerns aren't legitimate. And I think some of them are, the, who he played with. Uh, I know that um, he made some comments about uh, his line mates. Obviously, he's not talking about Nick Ehlers. He's talking about Bryant Little. That's pretty obvious. Then he called to apologize. I mean, I didn't like that he had said that publicly, um, even as a negotiating tactic. I mean, to sort of throw people under the bus, that doesn't look good. There's nothing lost translation. He knew what he was saying, but since then has apologized to Brian Little because I think he knew that it was uh, out of bounds so I mean I guess good for him but that was unfortunate that he said in the first place but I also think Brian Little's been around a long time and and he gets it as well but uh, don't want to see the guy be a doormat even though I kind of wish that uh, he would have been a better line uh, line mate for Liney but uh, anyhow so this is my my hot take so came out excited to earn top minutes Finland trip in November cement his feelings that he's arrived continue with little and naturally regresses frustration sets in and second of the season second half of the season drops off this is now a protest and going through the motions now that part uh I don't think that's a good thing if he was kind of going through the motions and protesting uh there was again some rumors about uh, people's responses to that I don't really want to get into rumors too much uh, some of them are you know can be verified and uh, well accepted this some of players response to maybe how they think line was working we don't actually know that for sure but uh anyhow if he was protesting and his play kind of drops off although he did he i thought he was really good in the playoffs one of the better forwards and certainly um the puck wasn't always going in the net for him but he definitely had uh played played all right for the second half of the season when things were falling apart so um so this results in him alienating himself from the coach and certain teammates. Let's just get the season over with and worry about the contract. He knows he'll get his money somehow uh, eventually, even after this protest. So usage is a bigger issue. And then I put in brackets, Truba. So bridges are burnt-ish. So uh, the contract thing, I mean, people say, why would he play bad or protest, you know, when he knows he's going to get paid uh, or, um, you know, it's a contract year. Well, the guy's getting paid. He knows that. This, this is a short-sighted 
but at the same time, he knows he's getting paid. So for people to just think that's about money, and so at every single moment, every player plays their heart out, uh, is pure nonsense. I mean, there's there's people dynamics here. So a uh, contract could probably be done, but why bother if nothing changes? So I think right now his contract, um, not hold out, but hold out to sign a contract, I suppose, is a little bit about usage, not about the dollars and cents, although there was uh, a report that the Jets low-balled him pretty, pretty hard. So... Maybe it is about the dollar. Well, it's always about that, too. Um, uh, so a contract could be done, but why bother if nothing changes? Should probably make this a bit difficult with no changes likely. Maybe can get a new start or pressure the team into giving better opportunity. Uh, from all we've heard and read, this seems like Liney's thought process this last year. At this point, after dissing his linemates, kind of, kind of thinking trade, like maybe he's thinking trade, uh, that's... Hard to come back from. I guess maybe not. He apologized. It's good. Coach will be pressured to change usage. Will he? Who knows if management will talk to Maurice or what he really thinks about that. Maurice is pretty stuck in his ways and confident uh, in what he does. Um, signing a lower paying bridge also probably feels like relinqu- relinquishing some control. Big money usually plays up the lineup. A bridge probably justifies keeping on the second line with likely no change at center. All of this. Anyhow, so... Uh, somebody first comment trade the entitled shit <laughs> okay i don't i don't think that's the right answer they're in contract negotiations some of the things that he says i think are legitimate and i don't know why when he says them that that's being entitled but um yeah anyhow the, these are some of the the comments that uh that happened someone else here said best jets player in the playoffs so that was uh nice to see so anyhow I, i'm i i guess it's not bad to say i'm defending line a only because i feel like his bad play or his entitledness or whether you know his protest or calling out line mates all of the the bad things you could kind of attribute to line over this last year is like a six out of ten but some of the stuff i'm reading uh online i'm just making that number up six out of ten whatever um but some of the hatred he's getting and sort of the get rid of the the lazy bum is like at a nine or a ten out of ten and i don't really understand why it's like that again earlier talked about um, Wheeler and some of his mm, stuff and I don't know why he doesn't get any vitriol from anybody except for mean terrible trolls who just you know want to trash everything on the team apparently but that's that's not it at all so I think uh, he's deserving and and Lina could be deserving with some things too but it just feels like people lose the plot here in some some context so um, it's interesting but uh, I'm glad again that he cleared that the stuff up with um with uh, little at least uh i'm surprised actually more people aren't talking about the connor deal because connor apparently loves it here wants to be here should sign long term a lot of people would choose him over liney but he's still not signed too and he gets no hatred at all like i haven't heard anybody say one bad thing about connor not being at camp okay and i'm going to get to a little controversial statement which uh was one thing i wanted to address instead of trying to type it but um yeah it's uh uh, I don't know what else I was going to say about that, actually. So uh, I'll get to my comment about uh, Connor. So I suggested that maybe the Jets have a deal in place with Connor, and they're using it sort of as leverage to kind of keep the cap space apparently open. So they're not uh, open to an offer sheet from Line A or that his camp is sort of none the wiser as far as the money that's left over or trying to compare to Connor, those sorts of things. Now, some people have said that's stupid. Why would they leave Connor out? Why would Connor's camp agree to this? Now, this is how this would work if it were true. Now, first of all, I think Connor probably gets announced today's Sunday, probably by Monday or Tuesday. I think that, that happens. It's not going to wait any longer with Buff uh, getting his suspension 
from the team, they're going to start getting some cap savings. He won't be starting the season very likely, so that's uh, fine. So there will be a bit more cap savings, which uh, gives the Jets, again, more flexibility. The way to do this with Connor's camp would be if you kind of lowball them and you get them to say, oh, no, okay, we come back with uh, seven years, 7.25, let's just say, and the Jets go, yep, that's a number we're comfortable with. All the Jets have to do is say, no, seven years, 5.75 mil, right? And you know that Connor's camp is going to say no. So now they can go and say, look, we're still far apart. We're still dealing with this. Yet they know that Connor's camp is very fine with the number that they're fine with as well. So you don't actually have to have Connor's camp in cahoots with the Jets trying to make it, you know, fudge the numbers to uh, to make their negotiations with Line a, a little bit easier or the possibility of an offer sheet less likely, which doesn't seem that likely anyhow. I mean, if Line a gets offer sheet, I'm 95% sure he's not getting offer sheeted and 99% sure the Jets would match it. So I don't think that's a big deal, but the, I mean... Montreal did offer sheet Sebastian Ajo uh, this summer, and it was a terrible attempt at an offer sheet. Um, but uh, Carolina matched it right away. But I think for the Jets, if Line a were offer sheeted, they would match it. That's no big deal. But you do not want other teams deciding your terms with your players. So I think they want to avoid somebody forcing their hand to do that contract. Not that they're worried about losing Line because I don't think they're they're. Uh, would take the draft picks at this point or anything anyhow. I, I'm sure some people would say do it, but I don't think that's in, in the Jets' um, DNA to do that. The, so so the Connor Camp uh, thing is not a matter of um, uh, collusion in any sort of way. The Jets just have Connor's Camp, I think, right where they want him, and at any moment they could pull the trigger on it. And people say, well, why would they keep Connor out of camp for all this? Well, if there's some short-term gain with the, the line of contract and the negotiations, um, and if anything, Connor's camp would just say, okay, well, we'll drop it an extra, you know, 250,000. The, the worst case scenario is you save a bit of cap space and you keep that flexibility. And then with, um, uh, Connor's camp, I mean, what did he miss? We're on exhibition game number four. Is anybody concerned that Connor's not going to be a good player this year because he missed, uh, four exhibition games and seven days of training camp? I mean, all this stuff at the beginning, it's all important, right? But it's important in the same way that it's really not important at all. I mean, this this is a very small bit of time. So to keep the guy away from from training camp on purpose to give yourself some leverage somewhere else is really not that conspiracy theorist-y. I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not finding the right, the right words. And uh, me, as just a Joe Blow nobody, to think of this like, well, yeah, that's a possibility. The same way with, uh, you know, players maybe wait until after the CBA, whether they knew it was being extended or not, um, maybe wait until then to get their contracts because they waited that long. I don't, I wouldn't say that was the original plan, but for them to kind of get to that point, say, yeah, well, let's wait another week and then we'll figure out our contract stuff, right? And then you'd be wiser. I mean, again, not all agents played it, played it that well, but whatever. Um, so if Chevy, this is his full-time job, you don't think that he might have a creative idea. Everyone just kind of makes it seem like, uh, the way that these negotiations are done is so black and white. There's no gradations at all. And anything you, people don't understand or can't figure out is definitely some sort of conspiracy theory that would never happen. I mean, like teams during the expansion draft literally could have traded players like a defenseman that they couldn't protect for a forward that they could protect from another team and then trade back after. Like that's not conspiratorial. That's just trying to work the system to your favor. Not that anybody did that. But I suggested the idea at the time, and people were like, that's crazy. How could that ever... What do you mean that's crazy? You're, you're trying to protect assets at all time. You're trying to find advantages in a CBA and in negotiations. So to think that just a fan could think of this stuff 
um, but just because other people didn't or it's not obvious that the Jets are doing that, um, that somehow it's, it's crazy talk is, to me, that's the crazy talk. Like, Chevy should be a smarter person than I am, and I'm pretty sure he's looked at every advantage he can. And if there's a, you know, give a little bit here on the Connor thing to give him more flexibility or um, position of power in any kind of way with the lining thing. And I'm not saying that is what's happening because I don't, I don't know. I don't know. But you don't know either. You don't know. I don't know. And that's the truth of it, right? But to suggest it is not crazy talk. Suggest it is thinking outside the box. And maybe, the, you know, it's something the Jets should have done. Right? Who, who knows? I, uh, I'm not really uh, one to say, but I just think that's uh, that's one way the Jets could do it without getting Connor's camp in cahoots to work against uh, Line A's camp in any way, shape, or form. You you have a contract basically in place, and you just haven't accepted it because you act like you're not happy with it, and at any point you can just confirm it. So, uh, I mean, the longer it goes, the less likely that's possible, or that's is what's happening, especially with the new buff situation and the cap savings that'll likely come there. I mean... The Jets are pretty much in a uh, a spot here where I think uh, they they might as well get the the Connor thing done. So again, Monday or Tuesday, I think it gets done, and we'll never know. We'll never know if this was the idea and this is what happened, but uh, I wouldn't rule it out as a possibility because it seems probable and uh, it gives the Jets uh, probably a bit of an advantage. I'm not going to try and explain it uh, again as to why it's um. It's uh, it could be beneficial to them. Anyhow, uh, the lining thing. I mean, uh, just back to him, in general, not to to kind of dwell too too much longer on the the Connor contract thing. Uh, lining, he doesn't drink, as far as we know. He doesn't do drugs. He's got a girlfriend. He lives with his parents. He doesn't go out and party. He doesn't get in trouble. Right. He's a good kid. He likes Winnipeg. I think the hatred and the 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 attitudes towards him should be positive. We want this guy locked up. I mean, he had a uh, by all accounts, statistically, a terrible season, scoring 18 goals in one month, 30 goals total, and he had four goals less than Connor, who had a good season. Everyone looks at Connor and says, "Oh, he had a good season, right? He had one or two uh, power play goals less than Liney and four goals total more." And so you kind of see that's exactly who Connor is. Liney has a, again, basically a terrible season. I'm not saying that he played terrible all season, and people are ready to write him off. He scores 30 goals, 18 in a month. And that's, you know, unacceptable, right? That's not, that's not really the, the way you want him to get his goals or, or, or whatnot and, and still manages to get 30. I mean, this, the, there's so much more ceiling to be met with this guy. And for people to write him off and just say how bad he is defensively, I mean, should really watch some games from last year of uh, some of our leadership core taking tons and tons of shifts off or watching Kyle Connor in the defensive end. I mean, the, the idea that line is bad defensively makes some assumption that everybody else is great defensively, not that uh, the many players, you know, lack it, lack in certain ways. So I, I think he's gotten a very unfair treatment, which is why I'm defending him, not because I think that he hasn't done anything wrong or had some stellar year and should be defended and everyone else is crazy. That's not it. But, I mean, if you just think line is a piece of garbage... Uh, I don't know. I, I don't know how you how you fan or how you do this thing. Anyhow, that's long enough on that. I think that was a fair statement. Um, like I said, we're gonna get be getting back to talking about actual hockey on the ice stuff. I wanted to talk about a bunch of just the storylines that were sort of overarching certain certain things. I do think Line is, uh, or I think Line A signs probably. Okay, no, Connor signs in the next day or two. Line A signs in the next. Um, Three weeks and buff, we see him before uh, December. Though, uh, even put a, a 
public bet out saying that that would happen for uh, for Buffs. So we'll see if I'm right. Anyhow, going to the game tonight should be fun. Uh, thanks for listening, and uh, we'll be back soon with uh, some talk about the actual hockey. Okay, over and out. I'm Kurt Gilback, and thank you for listening to the Jet Centric Broadcast. <laughs>